So in early Christianity, that said, in early Christianity, there was a debate on how we should read the Bible and how it should be interpreted. Some in the early church argued that these Gnostic Valentinian Christians read the gospel. Uh, They thought this wasn't the way that you should read and interpret the scripture. Irenaeus and other church fathers wanted that the main focus of the Orthodox Church was uniformity. They just wanted everybody to believe the same thing. They didn't want diversity. They would probably be upset at what Christianity looks like today because Christianity is very diverse. Somebody could say, I'm a Christian, and you could ask another, and they could believe very, very different things. But back then, they just wanted one pure version, and that would come from the Orthodox Church. Now, what's important to know, too, is that when Constantine endorsed Christianity, he endorsed one type of Christianity, Orthodox Christianity. And so while, I don't know if you remember, but Evensong, this service started out looking like those early church services that would start in living rooms. They used to just meet in their houses and gather around a meal. They would call them the love feast. And they'd invite people over, and uh, they would open up the Bible and talk about it. So when Constantine endorsed the, the one type of Christianity, you know what they did? They bought all of the big buildings. They had the funds and resources to put out only the Gospels that they liked, only the books they chose. And so the smaller other diverse groups kind of got swallowed up in that. And so they kind of got pushed out. That's why we never had these books until now. So we're, we're taking a look at them. And Irenaeus, this was the guy who was in charge of kind of cleaning out the Orthodox Church from, he wanted all of these fringe or divert, he, he didn't want diversity. He pushed them all out and he wrote a book called Against Heresies. This is a book you can find at Barnes and Nobles. And this, this book refutes everything I'm, I'm teaching. <laughs> He's going to refute everything we're going to look at today because the way that they interpreted the scriptures is the Valentinians is they would sit in a circle, read it, and say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? But the way the Orthodox Church did it is what do I think? What's the priest think? because he, he gets to decide the interpretation. So we're going to look at this and go in that style. We're going to open it up, and we're going to remove that kind of standard away and say, let's look at the scripture for ourselves, and we're looking at the Gospel of John today, but through the lens of those Valentinian Christians. Elaine Pagels, she wrote this book, it's called, the, this was her Harvard dissertation on the subject, and it's a very academic read, so I'll, I'll break it down for you. But she writes about the early church. This is what she writes. She said, Irenaeus, the head guy of the Orthodox Church at the time, says that exegesis, interpretation, must follow clear and must follow the clear and open sense of scripture. He insists, secondly, 
that interpretation must begin from clear and unambiguous parts, so the, the clearest part of the Gospels, as against the Valentinian, the Gnostic Christian, procedure of first looking at the parables and interpreting them, and seeing it more metaphorically. Third, the exegete must attend to the word order, the context, without any inverting, altering, segmenting, uh, because they didn't want you to end up like the Valentinians who came up with their contrived interpretation. Basically, this means when you read the Bible, read what makes sense, interpret what makes sense, stick with what the priests teach if you're confused, and marvel at what doesn't make sense. This was all to make sure that your understanding of God was very controlled and didn't deviate from what orthodoxy would have you believe about Jesus in the Bible. And that may sound bad, sinister even, and I think that's not the most healthy way for people to approach the Bible, but it was done in the spirit of uniformity. They wanted everybody to just accept Jesus the way that the church had seen him. The thing is, that's not working in our day and age. People don't like when somebody's telling them how to believe something. And so I think that's why these texts are really interesting for us to look at. As many of you know, you know they're setting up the shower back in the, in the other room for Ashley's uh, shower tomorrow. My wife and I, are, and I are having a baby. And that means I have some explaining to do to my daughter. The inevitable question of how did the baby end up in mommy's belly is a story that I'm, I had to have with my daughter. It's a, the G rating, though. I had to give her that version. So one day, when we're on one of our walks, I told my daughter about the birds and the bees. She's very much into nature, and she notices all the bees at work. And it, it was easy to point out that babies are born just like uh, the the same way flowers come into bloom through the process of pollination. And she, she knew what pollination was. She knew the insects that take part in pollinating the flowers. So she wanted to know if I was a bee or a butterfly. She was digging deeper into the analogy. The Gospel of John, one of the four Gospels, it's written with this same type of metaphoric style. That's how it finds itself, you know, in the Gnostic Bible. When we studied the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of John is actually found in here too because it's written allegorically. All the other Gospels agree and record the same thing Mark said in chapter 4, verse 34, that Jesus did not say anything to people. Whenever he taught people, he never taught without, this is what it says in the, in the scripture, without using a parable. Everything he said was metaphoric. And he only explained everything after when everybody left to his disciples. So imagine how many of us read the Bible and we're reading it literally. When the Bible clearly says everything he taught was metaphoric, was a parable. To understand anything in the Gospels, anything that Jesus taught, 
you would have to know this. But back then, if they tell, told you, don't do that, don't read into it, then you're already setting readers up for failure. Because now they've missed how Jesus taught. That was his style. And here's an easy way to explain the parable, the parable style. So you see my finger, my index finger? Jesus taught using parables, and that's just like me pointing my finger. You can look at my finger, and you go, oh, yeah, look, there's a nail on it. There's grooves, some, some print. And you could even say, oh, look, there's a bone in there. And you could stare at this finger all day. You can meditate on this finger. You can reflect upon my index finger. You can write songs about my index finger. And on Sundays, if every day, every Sunday, you would come and look at my finger and say, wow, look at that finger. But to really understand Jesus' teachings, to get how Jesus taught, you have to see that Jesus was not talking about a finger. You have to see instead that the finger is doing what? Pointing to something else. This is how Jesus taught. He would tell you something, and you would think about it, but what he was telling you was pointing to something totally different. The Gospel of John was written just like this. It was speaking to people on different spiritual levels, people at different stages of their spiritual development. And so, like the example I gave with my daughter, you all know what I'm saying when I tell her the story about the birds and the bees. You understand that I'm telling a whole different story than, appears to what, than what appears on the surface. Surely I'm not really a bee. My wife's not a flower. You get what's hap what I'm doing here. These are symbols, right? They're symbols with deeper meanings. And one understands as they mature, as, as my daughter grows up, she'll understand, oh, that's why he told me that story. And it's the same way with humans who've taken up the spiritual journey. As they grow and develop, so will their understanding of Jesus and the nature of this life. The Valentinian school of thought saw scripture happening on three levels. And Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians that the human, human being is made up of, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he says, may your spirit, soul, and body be sound and blameless. The Valentinians saw understanding to be made up of three different levels as well. As it is with children, we give them a surface explanation of birth that makes sense to their basic understanding of the world. But packed into that story, the story of the birds and the bees, there's more. It's a story of how humans make children, right? This, this unfolds over time as we grow up. It's a story about how you raise children, how you, uh, all the responsibilities that entails. And packed into that story is a spiritual one. 
right? How two people, how mom and dad become one out of their physical love, a deeper, a deeper bond gets formed, one that transcends the physical, it speaks to what it means to lose oneself and gain a new self in the shared experience of love at a higher level. But I didn't explain that all to my daughter in that one little story. That's something we'll talk about as she matures. So in a day and age when people don't read the Bible as much as they used to, where Christianity seems to be less of a vital part of people's lives, might we dare borrow a page from those in the early church who sought to see Christianity as more than just a religion, more than just a building and a service to attend, more than just rituals, and more than just holidays like Easter and Christmas. See, that type of Christianity, that just covers the surface. It's just focusing on the pointing finger. It misses the big picture of what Jesus was trying to teach. Is this not what Jesus came to do in the first place? To inject new life into his Jewish religion? He didn't come to start a new religion. He came to update it to reform it. And they kicked him out, like the Orthodox Church kicked other people out. Is this not what Jesus did when, didn't he interpret the scriptures differently than what everybody else taught? He interpreted in a different way, in a spiritual way, a deeper way than what was traditionally taught. Didn't Jesus dare to take this, this up book and say, let's get rid of the book and let's start living it out? That's what Jesus came to do. And Jesus did this by interpreting scripture at a deeper and more personal level. And this is what we're going to do today with a passage of scripture. That last week we looked at John 3.16. I know that you all know this next scripture as well. We all know it because if you could have one miracle working power, it would be to turn water into wine, right? That would be a great a great magic power to have. And we'd all be popular if we could do that. And what's interesting, in no other gospel is this story told. It's only going to be told in John. In John chapter 2, we're told a story where Jesus attended a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It wasn't too far from Nazareth. Itek has been there. And we visited a kibbutz right on the Sea of Galilee, when we were in Israel, we stayed there for a few days, and it's the best, it's the best spot to have a wedding, right? <laughs> and I remember walking out to the water, and I just pictured the whole story. Now, Jewish weddings back then, they didn't last for one day. They lasted for seven days. And they would invite anybody, the, the whole country is invited. If, if, if the country can make it, everybody's invited. So that's why Jesus and the disciples, they would show up to the party too. Now that said, imagine how much food and wine you would need to have a party for that many people, for, for that many days. And the story tells us that by the third day, 
the hosts had run out of wine. Jesus' mother, who's also in attendance, she then comes to let Jesus know about the dilemma. Maybe he can do something. But he tells her, woman, which is translated ma'am, like ma'am, why are you, I'm at the party, why are you bothering me? And he says, my hour's not come. And though he seems to dismiss her, she knows he'll do something about it. So Mary, his mother, goes to the servants and says, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Jesus instructs the, instructs the servants to get jars that were used for Jewish pure, rites of purification, just like that, the, the baptismal font. But they were big ones that a whole person could fit in. You know, we use that, if you go to St. Patrick's Cathedral, you'll see where the holy water is. And this is very interesting that Jesus would take something that was holy and use it to fill wine with. So they would fit like 20 to 30 gallons of water. And once uh, Jesus told them, fill those, those jars up, and then he says, now draw some water out and take, take a scoop of that water that you just filled up in that jar and take it to the chief steward. Now they thought they were out of wine. The chief steward sipped the water and was in shock. It was no longer water. It was wine. And he called the bridegroom and says to this in the passage, everyone serves the good wine first. You know why, right? Because <laughs> the inferior, they, they serve the inferior wine after, right? When all the guests are, are drunk. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> it's giving us some insight into how to throw a party. But he's shocked because he says, this wine is now better than, than what you had before. Where did this come from? The story ends with John saying, Jesus did this. This was his first sign. His first miracle. It's in John chapter 2. And this is what revealed him as Jesus Christ. And then his disciples, they now they believed him. So we read the surface of the story, and one gets the impression that it's just what it says. And we give it the title in the Bible. The miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. That's what we're taught. What else is there to say? Like, what could my sermon be about? What could I actually expound upon? Like, wow, that was really a cool magic trick, Jesus. You could turn water into wine. And it sets this precedent that the reason we should listen to Jesus is not because he says the truth, but rather we have to believe in him because he can do these miracles. As if his truth couldn't stand alone, it needs to be backed up by some kind of supernatural power. But let us, let us apply this Gnostic Valentinian lens to this passage. Let's see if there's more to the story than what's just on the surface. Elaine Pagels, the author of the book I showed you before, she wrote about how the early, these early Christians would have read this totally differently. 
and here's what she writes. Heracleon, a Valentinian, following in this tradition of reading the Gnostics through a metaphoric lens, applies the abstract principle of the three, I'll explain this, big words, of the three ontological levels of being hermeneutically, discerning the gospel in three levels of exegesis. That's three levels of interpreting based on one's spiritual maturity, just like a kid. A kid hears the story in this version, then as a teen, and then as an adult. But there's a spiritual maturity that's required as you read the scripture. So there are three levels, and Elaine Pagels breaks it down into, I call it, three grades. So the first grade level, when you read the Bible, you read John chapter 2, are the visible historical events perceived through the senses that occur at the material level. So this is somebody who opens up the Bible, reads that story, and they might interpret it like this, right? So you read the story, you say, wow, Jesus is a miracle worker. He can do magic. He can turn water into wine by the power of God. Now I believe that's all I needed. That's the first grade level. At the second grade level, there's the ethical interpretation of these events that are perceived at the psychic level. Did you know Thomas Jefferson rewrote the, the New Testament without the miracles? He, couldn't, he didn't want to believe them. He thought it was not logical. And so that second grade level of reading is so that one might see past the miracle and draw an ethical teaching from it. Something like, you know, the, the couple there needed help and Jesus was able to help. And so maybe we should help when we can. You know, when people are in a time of need, maybe I should, you know, Jesus could do miracles. Let me see what I can do to help. Or maybe, you know, when your mom asks you to do something, you should do it. Now that's, that's another moral you could pull from the story. But the Valentinians talked about another level higher level of understanding this scripture. And this is where true insight, gnosis in Greek means knowledge. This is where the true gnosis can come from when you read this scripture. And it's perceived at a spiritual level. Whoever understands the text spiritually, you know, each grade level is like lenses. So I can read the Bible and I, you know, I can't even see without my glasses, so I, I read it at one level, or I, and I put another lens on. What Elaine Pagels is saying, back then they would put a spiritual lens on when they read the scripture. So they wouldn't just read it on the surface. And somebody who does this will come to understand the Bible to be completely symbolic, completely a spiritual book. And this is where Jesus is teaching. This whole passage I read about the wedding and the wine can be seen just like the pointing finger as pointing to something else than what it's saying. It's where the passage moves beyond a story like the birds and the bees and invites us into what Jesus was really up to and what John was really saying about Jesus. So this is where I'm going to tell you the real miracle that happened in Cana.
I'm going to tell you my interpretation of this passage in John chapter 2. For John can be read on all three levels, but you will not understand it. You'll not understand it unless you understand how Jesus taught. And that's what John is trying to show us in this passage. That's why he starts with this being the first act. This is going to set the stage of how Jesus taught. John took this wedding event and turned it into a parable itself. It likely was just a normal wedding with no real miracles. But John is following his teacher by adding metaphors into the story. Do you know anybody who could turn water into wine? Do you think people in our day and age are going to buy that story? (laughs) That's why people don't take this seriously. But that's because we've taught it only at two levels. We're going to go into the third level now. How long is a Jewish wedding? Seven days, right? How many days did God create the earth in? Seven days. Early in the wedding, there's plenty of wine. But in the middle, what happened? The wine ran out. Moses brought the law to Israel, but eventually the law ran out of its usefulness. This presents a dilemma for, and so Mary, who brought Jesus into the world physically, in the story, what does she do? She brings him into the world as spiritually, as the Christ. And what does Jesus do? He takes sacred jars and has them filled with water and turns them into new wine. And this is what Jesus does with the Jewish religion. He takes Moses' old law and he turns them into something new, something refreshing, something that will take this wedding into its final stages of celebration. The next four days would be filled with Jesus' wine. This transformation, this transfiguration, this miracle is not meant to be understood at just the surface level. Rather, John's going to set the stage for what Jesus is going to do to his whole religion. He will turn it from being empty. This is what Jesus thought about his religion. It had classified him. It had decided who was clean and unclean. It had made so many rules and laws that said God only loved you if you did X, Y, and Z. And Jesus said, this, isn't, this doesn't work for everybody. It only works for a certain small group of people. So Jesus is going to turn the old religion into something new and refreshing, something that's relevant, something that has more use, something that makes the rest of everybody's days more relevant and meaningful. All those years ago, Jesus had turned something that had been become useless and empty into something useful and full. And the magic of what Jesus does back then is still at work today. When I was on a mission trip with uh, the, some of the boys, when I gave them deeper interpretations to the Bible, you know what they would tell me? Why don't they teach that at church? And I said, because church only deals with the surface. They go along with the tradition and ritual. 
But there is a line of Christianity that always seeks to see something deeper than what's on the surface. And that's what we're, we're doing with these texts. See, the magic of what Jesus does is he takes something that looks so plain and bland and he turns it into something miraculously new. And this happens, it happened back then and it's, it can happen today. It happens when we take old ways and turn them into new ways. It happens when we live not stuck in the past. Right? Sometimes we can do that. But it, when we boldly pour ourselves out into, into the old ways, we accept the old ways, but we adapt them for a modern day, then we transform them. We give them relevance. Jesus did this with his life, and he's showing his disciples then and his disciples today how to take old stories and blend them into new stories. The Gospel of John itself is a parable. The whole book, every single page is a parable. It's all a metaphor. And it teaches us what it is to adopt this style of looking for the spiritual meaning, not just in the book, but also in our everyday lives. Jesus wants us to look under the surface of stories so that we might one day look for the spiritual meaning in our physical stories. When we learn this, when we start doing this, then we'll have moved to the third grade level of Christian understanding. Life lived through a Gnostic lens. Next week, we will look at the life and death of Jesus, not just as a sequence of events. Right? That's what we're always, we've been taught. It's just a sequence of you know, nativity to, to, the, to the cross. But we're going to see it as a model for our lives. Jesus was truly the man from heaven because he showed us how to find the eternal in this life, the deeper spiritual truth to who we are. And when we find that by looking at his life, we'll have found it in our own lives and be granted what all human beings are looking for. That is meaningful existence lived for eternity. Jesus had found it, John had found it, and they want us to find it too.